me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4. We really need you here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, there is a reason that he has brought you here. And the reason that he has brought you here is to use the gift or gifts that he has given to you to build up his church, not just St. Andrew's Presbyterian, but his church. We really need you here at St. Andrews. Paul says that, not about our church in particular, but about the church in general. If you remember the first chapters in Ephesians, he is talking about salvation and uh, from God's perspective, then from our perspective, he is laying out all of the uh, theological foundational principles of the church, and then, and the turning point was two weeks ago and last week, the latter part of the book, beginning in chapter four, he turns the corner and he begins to apply all of those theological truths that he has been laying out. And he speaks to this church in Ephesus that is under great difficulty a church that has experienced uh, racial divisions between Jews and Gentiles, and a church that has to cling to one another in spite of all that because the outside pressures are even greater than the internal ones. And so I want you to listen and see, think about what, what would you say to that church? And then I think it's rather amazing what he says in terms of priority. Last week he talked about uh, the unity of the church. And then we pick up with verse 7. He says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we bow before you, we, we ask that you would, you would teach us today, even as we, we just sang, speak through your word till your church is built, till the earth is filled with your glory. But will you begin right here with us in our hearts in this place. We look to you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So what does he say to this church that is uh, under so much pressure, that is having difficulty with unity and all that? Use your gifts. That's, that's what he says. He speaks of that before he speaks of marriage, before he speaks of family, before he speaks of children. Use your gifts. And here in this passage, he begins with what, what if you're not careful, it almost looks like he lost his train of thought here. And he just kind of blurted something out. When he says, verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Now, let's do a little theology here. He, um, he's speaking here of the ascension. The ascension, in my view, is one of the most ignored doctrines about the nature of Christ that we have out there. Now, it's not ignored here at St. Andrews because I'm, I was convicted many years ago that, that in many places it just wasn't spoken of that much. We don't ignore uh, the death and resurrection, of course, and we must never. But the ascension, uh, here's, here's what we have. We have the incarnation where uh, Jesus takes on human flesh, comes to earth, lives the perfectly obedient life all the way, takes him all the way in his obedience, out of love to the cross where he dies to save his people from their sins. Then he's put in the grave and then he bursts out of that grave. And of course, we celebrate that at Easter and every Sunday, that's why we worship on Sunday, Resurrection Day. But then what? Well, we have the Great Commission and some of his final teachings, and then he ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand 
of the Father. What difference does that make? Did he just kind of go away then and become inactive? How does all this fit in? Why is that a good thing for us? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Why did, why did Paul use that? And who, who are these captives? Well, this is a, a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. And it describes, that psalm describes the Lord as a triumphant warrior. Now, here's, here's what, what, where that picture comes from because uh, people in that day would have understood. When uh, a, a great king would conquer another country, what he would do when he would return to his own city is uh, often he'd be riding in the front in a great chariot and uh, go you know, down the road. There'd be a great parade and uh, people would be you know, on all sides. They would be giving him accolades, praising him for what he had done, and behind him would be the captives, the ones they brought back, and the booty, that, you know, the treasures, the gold, the silver, all of the, you know, the, the treasures of that particular country, and it would be coming behind him. Now, that's the picture, but uh, the, the picture in the psalm and here is that Christ is that victor, and, and we, are that, we are those captives, but in the best sense. So we celebrate that we are, we are captives because of what he has done. He paid the price for us. Then, now I told you that this is, um, this is a quote, and it is. It's almost a direct quote, but here's the difference. Back in the psalm, it said they gave gifts to him. Here, Paul changes it and says he gave gifts to men. So you get it? That's, that's his plan. Verse 9 in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, some, I'll just tell you, and we're not going to stop here. You can look it up in commentaries or uh, if you would like. But uh, some would like to say this descending is Jesus descending into hell. Uh, and, and no, that's not what it's saying here. Uh, and, uh, you know, John Calvin said, there's no sense in torturing this phrase to make it mean purgatory or hell. <laughs> I think he said it all right there, you know. That would be, that'd be a wrong way to look at this. What he is, uh, what, what it's saying is simply that he came to earth. These are the, those lower regions, and that's when, in the incarnation, when he came to earth. So then the quote is changed from receiving gifts from men to he gave gifts from men. So here's, again, the picture. Jesus comes to earth. He does his work on the cross. He conquers death. 
But rather than stay on earth, Jesus takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And then, as we saw in the book of Acts, he sends his Holy Spirit at at Pentecost to build his church, to indwell, and to build. Uh, In terms of his ascension, back in, in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus teaching about the ascension in John 16, and he says this, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So what he's, you know, he's saying to these disciples who don't want to give him up, he says, look, it's going to be to your advantage. It's going to be better for you for me to go away. He was talking about the ascension. And, you know, of course, they're saying, what are you talking about? How could that ever be better for us, for you to go away. It's better for you to be here so we can be near you. And what he's saying, look, if I don't go away, then we won't send the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. So here was his plan. He went away. He sends the Holy Spirit not to be in one place like he was, but to dwell in our hearts so that wherever his people are, anywhere in the world, the Holy Spirit is there. That means Christ is there. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So he dwells in us, and then here's the other part of that equation, why it's better. He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell in his people, and he sends spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit to build his church up. Because he, his plan was not for him to stay here and build his church, but to do it through his people. And that's where gifts come in. That takes us to the source of gifts for the church. Look at verse 11, or 7 rather, and 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And verse 11 just says, and he gave. So after we understand why Jesus sent gifts to the church, because he's no longer here, we need to understand his plan is to give gifts to grow his church. Now notice what it says here. It says grace was given to each one. That's why I said if you're trusting in Christ alone, that means Christ, the Holy Spirit, is is dwelling within you that you have been given at least one gift. Well, how do I know what my gift is? We'll talk about that in a minute. But you have been given at least one gift, and he's the one that distributes it. Now, the reason it's important to remember he's the one that distributes it is this. Since that's the case, There's no reason to envy other people's gifts. He's the one that figured out what's best for the church, what the best gift to give me, what the best gift to give you is. It's on him. And so we don't need to envy that gift when in his infinite wisdom, 
whatever gift or gifts he's given you, are the perfect ones for you. There's no need to envy other gifts or talents. And I know a lot of folks struggle with that. And the reason I know that is because I've struggled with that too. I can see other people's gifts and think, man, I would love to have those gifts. We've got to be reminded, look, he's the one that decided. So it's got to be best for the church. In terms of uh, the nature of the gifts, look what he says in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, Paul is listing, I believe, two kinds of, of gifts here, extraordinary and ordinary gifts. The extraordinary gifts are unique. They're only given for a time. We've already talked about this earlier back in chapter 2 uh, when we talked about the apostles and prophets, remember? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Those gifts, the gift of being an apostle and a prophet, they're tied to new revelation it was the Old Testament, New Testament, and they were for a time. But what does it say back in chapter 2? It says they're foundational. So that means they don't go all the way up the building. They're laid once, and then other gifts are built upon them. So those are the extraordinary ones. Uh, we don't have those now. But then it says the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And that shepherds and teachers, those should go together. And a lot of people would, would translate that pastor, teacher, something like that. Um, so we see the, the foundation there. The point is here, not everyone's given the same gifts. And that's the way the church works best. Now, I love it when our orchestra plays, don't you? I love it when our choir sings, don't you? I know, because you clap today. It's like, I can't help myself. i got to clap, you know? And I understand that. And, you know, when I hear them sometimes, because I can see the, the orchestra, some of them play little solo-type things or introductions, and then they, you know, they all play together. And if you heard any one of them, some of them would sound good and some wouldn't sound like much by itself. But you know when the real beauty and the real power? When they're all playing together and each one is playing their part correctly. Right, Mark? Correctly, yeah. <laughs> Which they do. The choir. I, I love to hear solos, a good soloist. Uh, that's one of those talents that I, you know, I could envy. Oh, man, to be able to sing like that. But, and I, I can appreciate great solos and so on, but you know what I really like? I think there's something special when, when the whole choir is singing together. You know, you have the men sing, then the women sing and everything, and I'm just looking forward to the point where they're, they're all together. Of course, uh, you know, when they, when they do it, the, the quieter and solos and things like that, that's, that's that part doing its part too. So it's this, this harmony. That's where the great power 
comes. And, and that's the way the church works as well. And when it's working, it's a beautiful thing to behold. When everyone is using their gifts, everyone doing their part. Now, what are the results of that? And uh, let's, let's take a look. Look at, uh, uh, it's the building up of the body, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here's what Paul is saying. If the pastor teacher is the only one using his gifts, then the church won't function right. In fact, I don't even think you can call it a church if that's the case. If all you got is uh, some preacher up front doing his thing, that's not really a functioning church. It's a dysfunctional church. Now, I've got, I've got friends. I've never pastored a tiny church, but I have friends that, uh, you know, they go to a, a small church, and, uh, you know, when, they, when you have the pastor's job description in that small church, it's like, just says everything. You know, that, that's, you know, just one word. You do everything, and, uh, you know, we pay, and, and sure enough, they, they preach, and then they do, you know, all or most of the teaching. They do all the visitation, and then, uh, you know, there's no toilet paper in the bathroom, so, you know, and they do the, the bulletin. I even went to one church. We were on vacation. We visited one church, and the pastor um, was leading all of the worship, did a wonderful job, and then he went over to the piano and sat down at the piano and led the choir from the piano. Now, that's pretty amazing. It is amazing, but the problem is that's not the way it's supposed to function. And if, if only one are using their gifts, then the, the church is going to stay stuck right there. Only as far as that, that one person's gifts can take them. And that's, that's a problem. And so... What my job is to use my gifts and to equip you to use your gifts. Now, now, you know, I'm not saying it's just for me to get up here and preach and then you all go do everything. I need to be using my gifts too. But all of us need to. Now, how do we do that? Primarily from the pulpit. That's where the equipping comes. And that's why it's essential that preaching from the pulpit, not just be informational, not just give you a bunch of new information, be an information dump, but it's got to be transformational so that you get the information, you process it, and then you do. Something changes. Something is added. Something grows. And that's that's the idea of building up the church through the word of God. Now, here's what our vision 2017 says. And it's the opposite of what I described to you with the, you know, the, the, one, the minister kind of doing everything. In vision 2017, we said we have a vision for every member ministry. We seek to guide each one into a gift-based, passion-driven role in the church 
in at least one of our, our major ministry areas, which is worship, teaching, and outreach. Such a role will be carried out joyfully and with excellence. See, that, that's our, our view, and that is this. If a person isn't using their gifts or they're in the wrong place, they're, they're going to have no joy in what they're doing, and they're, frankly, probably not going to do it very well either. And you probably have to stay on them to show up on time and stuff like that. If someone is using their, their gifts, their passion will drive them to excellence. And so that's, that's our view. We believe that it is, is firmly based upon this and other scripture about giftedness. Now, how is the church built up? Quickly, I'm going to give you four things. One is unity. And we talked about that last week, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith. Now, remember, Paul was talking to Jews and Gentiles who were divided by background and teaching, told them they have a unity. Here he's emphasizing, you Jews need the Gentiles, you Gentiles need the Jews. You all need each other because you have a unity because of, of Christ. So let's picture how this works here. Everyone in this room, 450, 500 people are hearing the same message. If you're open to God's spirit, he's speaking to hearts. We're meditating on uh, much the same thing. And then for many of you tonight, you'll go to community group and you'll, you'll be talking about this again and applying it again. And what does all of that do? It draws us together, focusing on the same kinds of things. John Perkins, who is uh, with Voice of Calvary in Mississippi, said the last individual thing that happens in your life is when God's Spirit takes you individually from death into life and joins you to Christ. In other words, you know, when, when you actually come to Christ, then you are immediately incorporated into a body of believers that transcends space and time. So he's saying, then it's not me, it's us. It's us, because our, our joys affect one another, our growth or non-growth affect one another, our sorrows affect one another. So if you use your gift, no matter what it is, if you use your gift, you will contribute to the unity of the body of Christ. And if you do not use your gift, it will hurt the body of Christ. And I really don't think that there are people in this room that want to hurt the body of Christ. That's why I said, if God has led you here, there's something he wants you to do here, and we need it because he knows best. Secondly, this building up the church is in terms of growth and maturity. Until we all, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, it is a sweet and beautiful thing 
when a little child is being a child. I love it when I'm sitting here and, you know, the children's church is about to start, and I see, I see the little ones running across here. It makes me smile every single, every single time. But if I saw a grown man running behind them, <laughs> how weird would that be? It's no longer a beautiful thing, is it? Well, you know, in a sense, that's, that's what he's saying here, is that we, sh- we can't stay there. We can't be Peter Pan Christians, okay? Which, by the way, I was pretty proud of myself this week making up that term. <laughs> you know what that means, don't you? I'll never grow up, you know? I was proud of myself, and then I thought, I wonder if anybody else has ever done that, and I Googled it, and there's a few other very sharp pastors out there that, <laughs> that thought of that term as well, okay? But I thought I thought of it anyway. But you get the idea. We, we are not to stay. You know, if you've been a, a, a Christian 10 years, you should be at least 10 years in maturity. And some are just like a one-year-old that continue on 10 years down the line. And that's what he warns us against. And here's the other part of that passage. It gives us the, the build, being built up is the stability to stand, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Uh, think, think about children uh, growing up. They are easily distracted, right? You go down in our nursery and watch the children, and they will, they will play with the toy, but they, they won't play with the toy for, you know, a, a half hour at a time. They'll play with it for a few minutes, and then they'll see another toy that looks more fun, and then they go over to that, or they'll see a toy that their friend has, and they'll think that's better, and they'll go over and get that. But they're easily distracted, and that's the picture he's saying. You know, believers, we, we must not be that way. So we, we can't be looking for the, the newest and best church experience, being dragged here and there. Instead, this gives us a stability. I had to laugh this week. Uh, uh, this woman wrote about a child she knew who came out of a Sunday school class. The in, inside, the teacher had just left the class for a moment, and there was just chaos in the class. Things getting thrown and, and uh, all kinds of noise and everything. So there were, you know, teachers coming back to the class, and one little kid came out of the class and said, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. (laughs) Well, that's where the word of God comes in here. How are we gonna know how to grow? How are we gonna know how to be stable here, week after week, sometimes just plowing through the next passage. And every week's not going to be more exciting than the last. 
But then you get the cumulative effect of week after week trying to listen to what God has told his people down through the centuries and what he's telling us. That's where stable and consistent growth comes. And then it talks about being built up in love, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every, um, in every way into him who's the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the, the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, I love, and we won't go to this, but you can look sometime in, in John 4, that passage where Jesus, he had just said, uh, the, the fields are wide unto harvest. And then he uses this phrase. He said, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. You know why I love that? Because um, what it's saying is that, that God uses different kinds of gifts. Some of you are going to be sowers, sowing the seed. And there's others that, have you ever met somebody that just seems to lead people to Christ right and left? I've, I'm not that kind of person. I've met people like that. But you know what this Jesus was saying is, well, that's because the sowers did their job. But here's what I, I like about this passage so much is you get the picture that in heaven, you know, we're, we're not lifting up the, the reapers, just the evangelists, but the sowers and reapers are all rejoicing together as each part does its work. Now, back to the question, how do I know what my gift is? There are all kinds of gift surveys. If you've been in the church, a church, any length of time, you've probably taken one at some point. You can go online. There's all kinds of surveys, and I'm not opposed to any of those things. Uh, you know, it might help you hone in on your gift. It will probably just confirm you what you already know. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we make it way too complicated, okay? Because in Ephesus... They didn't Google spiritual gifts and come up with a survey, did they? And they didn't have a pastor that said, I have this neat thing and I'll tell you what your gifts are and all that. So it hasn't always been that way. So here's very simply, as you walk around the church, if you see a need and you can meet it, do it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Because here's what will happen. If you're gifted in an area, you're probably going to see needs in that area. And you'll probably walk by some other things where there's needs and you won't even notice it. But your gift and your passion causes you to focus in and see this. And so you do it. And then here's the other part of that that he talks about speaking the truth in love. So then when you fill that need, we need to be willing to speak to one another and either affirm one another's gifts and say, yes, you're gifted in that area. I'm glad you're doing that. Or help guide you to where you can best be used. And that's how the church functions together, each one doing their part. I was standing at the back door of the previous church that I served over in Atlanta. 
and a couple came out, and uh, I saw that they were visitors. I um, didn't recognize them, and so I said, hi, I'm Dale, and they said, we're the Studebakers. Oh, nice to meet you, and uh, we chatted for a moment and everything. Good to have you. Come back and, and see us, so on, and uh, so those of you that are visiting will know I haven't really changed my speech very much. I, that's, that's what I'll say, come back and see us, because that's what I hope you will do. Well, the Studebakers came back the next week, and we were talking a little bit more, but here was the thing. When they, when they came back, I said, the Studebakers, right? And they were so impressed. Uh, I can't believe you remembered our names. And I said, well, look, I'm, I'm really not that good at that anymore, but it's an unusual name. And I've only known one other Studebaker, and that was when I was a little kid in El Paso, Texas, and uh, I had a Sunday school teacher. Uh, they were named Studebaker. And they said, did you say El Paso, Texas? And I said, yeah, I was in second, third, and fourth grade there. And they said, Highland Park Presbyterian Church. We were your teachers. <laughs> now, they didn't remember me. I don't know how that happened. But. <laughs> but they said, yeah, we were, we were there, and, uh, you know, during those years. And, we, you know, we were amazed, just like you, you just were. They ended up joining the church, and they said to me, I hope in some way what we did back there contributed to you being a pastor today. And I said, oh, it did. And the reason I could say that with such confidence is not that I remembered anything they had taught me, but I could say that to everyone who has been in my life from the very beginning. Sunday school teachers, teachers, others speaking truth into my life as each one does its part. That's how the church is to function. Our great king has ascended to his throne and he has said, carry on. And here are your gifts to build the church. Let's use them. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to be in touch enough to find our passion, to be willing to serve you and one another in using our gifts so that you will then build your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.